to Mike and Ricky for that ministry in music. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. So in Timothy chapter 1, I'm going to be reading uh, verses uh, 15 through 18. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelius and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you will know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Last week, we considered that Timothy was not to be ashamed of the gospel, nor of Paul, the prisoner, on account of his preaching the gospel. The key verse was 2 Timothy 1.8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. We spent most of our time addressing how Timothy was not to be ashamed of the gospel. This morning, we're going to focus on the second aspect of that admonition, and that is that Timothy was not to be ashamed or draw back from Paul's imprisonment. Paul's imprisonment. He said, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Paul's concern is that Timothy would distance himself from Paul, which would have some negative consequences. In fact, two in particular. The first negative consequence would be that Timothy might not pattern his lifestyle after Paul's lifestyle. Verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. Paul is exhorting Timothy to pattern his life after Paul's life and teaching. Well, where has that landed Paul? Answer, it landed him in prison. And so there might be a, a reticence to pattern his life after that of the Apostle Paul. The second concern is that Timothy might draw back from the identifying with Paul's message. If you look at 2 Timothy 1 and 2, these bookends of this particular portion of Scripture, it says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men. The emphasis is on what you have heard from me. What I have told you, now you entrust to others that they can continue to preach and teach the gospel even as I have presented it to you. The concern is that Timothy might lose confidence in Paul, and even worse, lose confidence in Paul's message. Our question this morning is, why would Paul be concerned about that? Is there any real danger that Timothy would actually distance himself from Paul or from the gospel? Is that fear totally unfounded? Is Paul concerned just over the top? Is this somebody who's sitting in a prison jail, worrying about things that there's no point in worrying about. 
That's never going to happen. Timothy's going to assuredly remain faithful to, to Paul and to the gospel. Why would Paul have any concern? He speaks of how Timothy is his beloved son. He has entrusted Timothy with all kinds of responsibilities, he sent him to various churches, has been ministering, he's been faithful. Why would there be any doubt in Paul's mind that Timothy would remain faithful to Paul and to the gospel? What is prompting that concern? I think we need to give our attention to that question this morning if we're going to understand the relevance, really, of the entire book of 2 Timothy. What is prompting Paul's concern is all the negative influence that Timothy is encountering from those around about him. Timothy is well aware that the Apostle Paul had fallen into disfavor with a lot of people. If you look at verse 15 of chapter 1, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The word translated as aware in the ESV and as know in the other translations is a word that means to know by experience. Timothy knows firsthand that all in Asia have turned away from Paul. No one has to tell Timothy that. Paul is not writing Timothy of something that is foreign to Timothy's thoughts. Timothy has been experiencing the fallout that has resulted from everyone in Asia having become ashamed of Paul and his imprisonment. Paul is not writing Timothy to inform Timothy of events that Timothy is unaware of. Paul is writing Timothy because Timothy knows the situation all too well. He's living through this situation. Timothy is experiencing the turmoil that resulted from people turning away from Paul. Timothy had to wrestle with how to react to those who had turned away from Paul. Paul's concern is, how is Timothy going to process all of this? How will Timothy act towards those people who have turned their back on Paul? How will Timothy respond to Paul publicly? He's ministering in Ephesus. He's ministering to the very people that have turned their back on Paul. So how is he going to address this publicly? How will Timothy respond to this privately? What about his own personal relationship to Paul? Uh, how is he going to maintain his ministry and a relationship to Paul? How will Timothy grapple with this situation theologically? How will he reconcile in his own mind what Paul taught with what Paul is now experiencing? How do you put that together? You look at this faithful man who has been trusting God all his life, and now he finds himself in prison. Is that really what one would expect from a life of faithfulness and dedication to God? What will Timothy think about the church? These people that now have totally turned their back upon the Apostle Paul. What will he think about the power of the gospel? Well, these people have professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is this how Christians behave? Is, is this what we should expect from people that have 
come to know the Lord as their Savior? What would he think about the faithfulness of God? Had God somehow forgotten Paul as well? Had the Lord's work been overthrown? Has the evil one just come in and totally devastated the church? Where is God in all of this? How is Timothy going to reconcile all of that in his own mind? We're going to actually put that off for a couple of weeks. The Apostle Paul will address all those things and address them quite thoroughly, and we're going to see that in the weeks that lie ahead. But for today, I want us just to consider how shocking verse 15 is. It's so easy to to read over verse 15 and uh, treat it pretty nonchalantly. Verse 15 of chapter 1 reads, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. I think if we are going to really appreciate the theology and all the practical insight that's given throughout the rest of 2 Timothy, that we really need to come to grips with the reality of verse 15. The weightiness of it. In particular, the weight upon Timothy's shoulders. The questions that would have run through Timothy's minds. The difficulty of understanding what in the world is going on. So this morning, we're just going to look at verse 15, that's all. Now we're going to go to other portions of Scripture to look at it, but we're going to look at verse 15, and we're going to consider four reasons why verse 15 is so shocking. The theme is, why is it so shocking that the people were ashamed of Paul's imprisonment? Four reasons. First, it is shocking because it is Paul that the people are ashamed of. If you look at verse 15, it says, You are well aware that all who are in Asia turned away, and now I'm emphasizing the words from me. From me. Keep in mind that the people have turned away from the Apostle Paul. Now it should be noted, first of all, that it does not say that they have turned away from the Lord. They've turned away from Paul. Later, in the book of 2 Timothy, he's going to deal with those that have actually turned away from God. He's going to deal with heretics. He's going to deal with those that have abandoned the faith. But that's not here, okay? That's not where we are this morning. These are not people who have abandoned God, but they abandoned Paul. They abandoned Paul. The heresy that they're encountering certainly contributes to the factor There are many contributing factors that we will see in the weeks that lie ahead, but this morning, the emphasis is that they have turned away from Paul. What does that mean, that they have turned away from Paul? Well, it means, at the very least, that they are not actively supporting him. Uh, The word, the Greek word, is the word to apostatize. But it doesn't mean they apostatized from the Lord. It means they apostatized from Paul. It means they fell away. They are not defending him. They are not assisting him in any way. Paul says that later in uh, the end of uh, 2 Timothy, that uh, no one has come to his defense. It means that they are not looking to Paul. 
for leadership. So why is that so, so shocking? Because one would think if God's people were going to be supportive of anyone, it would have been Paul. Wouldn't you think that the church would have been committed and faithful to Paul to the very end? I would think, in my own rationale, that he would be the very last person that people would turn their back on. When you think of his commitment, when you think of his life, when you think of his involvement, when you think of everything that, that he did, to think that they turned their back on Paul, well then you have to kind of say to yourself, you know, if they'll turn their back on Paul, then they might just turn their back on anyone. And I think that's the lesson to learn. If they're going to turn their back on Paul, why would we not think that people may turn their back on us? Why would we not think that the spiritual leaders of our day are going to wrestle with people who are less than committed to them? Why would we think if they are going to leave Paul in this way, that they are not going to leave us. One might think, in application, that if we live a life of faithfulness to God, that God's people will always appreciate and always be supportive of us. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. We might be shocked if it happens to us. Put yourself in Paul's shoes. But this morning, it's not really about Paul. We've looked at how it affects Paul, but this morning it's about Timothy. So put yourself in Timothy's shoes. How would you respond if the person that you look up to, your, your mentor, your teacher, your loved one, is in prison and everybody turns their back on that person? How would you react to that? Maybe you have a a child, maybe you have a, an aunt, an uncle, maybe you have a relative in ministry. And the church votes that person out. People don't support that particular individual. How are you going to respond to that? How are you going to view that? Maybe you're the one. How are you going to take that? Number two. It is shocking because of the number of people who have turned away from Paul. Notice verse 15. You are aware that, now the word, all who are in Asia turned away from me. All. It's not some turned away. It's not many turned away. It's not even most turned away, it's all turned away. All turned away. Now there are a number of commentators that want to take that in a high, uh, high, uh, hyperbolic, hyperbolical, 
an exaggerated way. Okay, they, they want to understand that is, this is Paul practicing hyperbole. He's, he's exaggerating. Certainly not everyone turned away from Paul in Asia, except that there's no one there. There's nobody supporting them. They really did. They all turned away. Now just imagine for a moment. Just imagine if you got a letter from a missionary and the missionary is in prison. And the missionary says to you in their letter, every church in eastern, eastern Pennsylvania wants nothing to do with me. Well, just think about it. Just put, put down perspective, okay? This missionary is in prison and says, there's not a church in eastern Pennsylvania that wants anything to do with me. What questions might start coming to your mind? Would, would you, you stop and you say to yourself, could all those people be wrong? Could that number of churches really be mistaken? Maybe there's more to this imprisonment than meets the eye. Maybe, maybe it's not all that he's in prison for preaching the gospel. Maybe he did something else wrong. Maybe there's other misconduct that is not being disclosed. Certainly there must be good reason if there's this group of churches filled with good people that love the Lord, that are fine elders, and they all have decided not to support the Apostle Paul. Hmm. I wonder what we don't know. Must be something. You know, if, if Paul is in, in prison for a felony or if he hasn't broken the law in some way other than preaching the gospel, if that's, if that's really the only reason he's in prison, well, I wonder if God's punishing him. I wonder if God's disciplining Paul in some way. I wonder if God is displeased with Paul. We know who he is publicly, but how do we really know what's going on in Paul's heart and mind? After all, all the churches in Asia have turned their back on Paul. You know, there are some lessons to be learned here. We must be extremely careful when we start 
jumping to conclusions. Have you ever thought, you know, if a pastor is asked to leave and the whole church is supportive of that idea, then he must have done something wrong. There must be something about him that we don't really know, okay? There there must be something underlying here if a whole church decides not to support the pastor. The whole church couldn't be wrong, could they? Or could they? Could a good man actually not receive the support of an entire church? Well, if Paul's any example, the answer is yes. If there's any truth to this passage, the answer is yes. Now, is it always that case? Of course not. But the point is, we need to be very careful in the conclusions that we jump to. Oftentimes, our explanations are far too simple. And what's more important is they become spiritually damaging. Because then if we're going to question that person's ministry, then we're going to question what they did and said. And should we follow their example and should we listen to what they said? Were they a hypocrite? Were they this? Were they that? Can we have any confidence in him? These are real issues. These are real important. Nobody standing with him. The third issue that is shocking. It is shocking because of the kind of people that are included in having turned away from Paul. Notice verse 15. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are, and now, we are told, Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now, who are these guys? Answer is, we don't have a clue. Okay, we don't know. Church history doesn't tell us. They don't appear anywhere else in the scriptures. They are meaningless names to us. But they're not meaningless names to Paul and Timothy. We don't know who they are, but Timothy does. And the significance is that these are the last two people that you would expect would turn their back on Paul. Out of all these many, Paul says, but it's also, it's also Phygelus and Hermogenes. They also turn their back on me. So for whatever reason, they stand out as a surprise. We would have thought these two guys, if anybody's going to remain faithful to God, it's going to, to Timothy, it's going to, I mean, to Paul, it's going to be two, these two guys. So we can kind of guess that maybe, maybe they were elders, maybe they were church leaders. Or maybe they were real good friends. We don't know. All we know is they were two people that you wouldn't expect that would have turned their back on Paul. They were respected and good people who no longer were associating with Paul. Application. 
Even the best of people can disappoint us. Let me say that again. Even the best of people can disappoint us. And when they do, it's the hardest to take. We naturally expect better things from elders. We naturally expect better things from our friends. We look around and we kind of understand when other people are not what they ought to be and when other people are not acting in the way that they should, but when we encounter it from elders and we encounter it from friends, that's pretty tough to take. And Timothy has to deal with these are the people that turned away from Paul. And they're still in the church. And he still has to minister to these, this group of people. How do you explain that theologically? How can you have people that are committed to God and committed to the scriptures but not committed to Paul? How do you work through that? How do you reconcile that? What's wrong about that picture? This is what Timothy has to sit and answer. And now fourthly, and here's where we're going to actually spend a lot of time. Number four, it is shocking because of where the people came from who turned away from Paul. Look at verse 15. You are all aware that those who are in, and now this word, Asia, turned away from me. Okay, so that probably doesn't mean a whole lot to too many people. Right, so we just kind of glance over that. All right, all the people in Asia, well, who cares about the people in Asia? I mean, you know, it's not us. Uh, who, are, who, are the, who are these people in Asia? They must be some backwater kind of people. They must be some hick individuals that don't have much knowledge of Paul and the scriptures, et cetera, et cetera. Who are these people in Asia? So I want to spend some time with the people in Asia. Turn with me to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Just some things to note. What we're emphasizing is why it is so amazing that the people in Asia would have turned from the Apostle Paul. If you look at Acts chapter 19, starting with verse 1, it reads, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. The first thing you need to know is that Ephesus is the leading church in Asia. Ephesus is the leading church in Asia. Paul's stay in Ephesus was for an extended period of time. The people knew him well, starting at verse 8 of chapter 19. And he, that is Paul, entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. 
But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the house of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that, now listen to these words, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Ephesus was the key city in Asia. It was the key church in Asia. It was home base for Paul in Asia. And he camped out there. Uh, we find out later in the scripture that he was there for an entirety of three years. Preaching and teaching daily. Paul had a very successful ministry in Ephesus, starting at verse 18. And many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. These people were committed. They changed their lives. They repented when they heard the gospel. And they were willing to sell stuff that was dear to them. These weren't mere professors. These were people who demonstrated repentance. Verse 20. So that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. God's word was having a great effect. Verses 21 and 22. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must go see Rome. And having sent, having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So he was there for a total of three years. Paul had friends in Asia. Look at verses 30 and 31. When Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And some of the Asiarchs, it's a word for an Asian, some of the Asians who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. So here are people that have been converted. Here are people that have demonstrated great commitment to God. Here are people that are referred to as, as Paul's friends. Well, Paul leaves Ephesus, travels through Macedonia, continues on in his missionary journey. When you get to Acts chapter 20, verse 17, if you turn there, Paul is in Miletus. Verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shirk from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks of repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. Paul says, you know I was faithful. Uh, tonight I'm going to look at this passage in much more detail. But continuing on, I want you to look at the elders' response to Timothy excuse me, to Paul, when he left. Acts 20, 36 to 38. 
And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. These are the elders from Ephesus. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul, kissed him, being sorrowful of all, most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. These were people that embraced him. These were people who wept with him. These were people who showed him an inordinate amount of affection. And Paul writes to Timothy and says, you're very much aware that not one of these people are supporting me. Not one of them standing with me. Not one of those elders that kissed me and hugged me wants anything to do with me. Timothy's at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus was well taught. The church at Ephesus was well led. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and 2, just listen to this. Timothy, my true child, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, O Lord, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrines. False doctrine already started entering in. Paul has sent Timothy to Ephesus. Now, just think. Timothy's given the charge to tell these people not to teach any false doctrine. Paul says to Timothy, teach them the things that I taught you. But Paul, they won't listen to you anymore. What's he to do? How does he speak of what the Apostle Paul has done when they all know the Apostle Paul, they've all experienced the Apostle Paul, and they've all turned their back on Paul. Life can be hard. Life can be difficult. And this morning, we're not going to look at the answers. There are answers. There's good stuff in 2 Timothy. I just want you to wrestle with the reality of the way life is. How often church leaders are, are burned out and turned off to ministry? Less than half of the people that enter into a pastoral ministry continue in a, in a pastoral ministry for more than five years. Less than half. The majority walk away. Now think about that. The majority of people in pastoral ministry walk away. Only one out of ten actually retire from the pastoral ministry. One out of ten. We're dealing with real life. We're dealing with real issues. We're dealing with real discouragement. The admonition that Paul is giving to Timothy was real and genuine. I 
How does one reconcile the relationship that Paul had to the churches in Ephesus as described in Acts chapter 19 and 20 with what he's now experiencing when he's in prison? I would submit to you that it's disappointing to say the least, but an important lesson to be learned. God's people aren't perfect. They have never been perfect, and they have never been perfect in any church age. Uh, I almost laugh, because I run into it pretty often. People talk about the New Testament church in a very idyllic way. You know, what we really need to do is get back to the New Testament church. <laughs> if we can just be like the New Testament church, man, everything would be great. And they want to set up models to be like the New Testament church. And we argue about what the New Testament church did and how they acted. And if we could just do that, man, we would have spiritual power. We would be renewed. We'd be strong and all these things. And the reason I laugh is because I'm thinking, man, have you ever read the New Testament? Have you ever stopped to look at the condition of the church in the New Testament? Corinthians is a mess. This passage, just think of it. Think of yourself as a parishioner in the church at Ephesus. What do you do with your church leaders that want nothing to do with the person who taught you for three years? How do you reconcile that? How do you cope with that? How would you like to be a member of that church? The New Testament church is not perfect. No church is perfect. No church is perfect. Even churches that are well taught. Even churches that have good leadership. Even churches that get incredible reminders. Don't forget that the book of Ephesians is written to the Ephesian church. Now do you understand why I'm saying this is shocking? Now do you, you understand why I'm saying it makes your head spin? Now can you understand how Timothy, as this young pastor, is wrestling with what do I do in this mess? Next application. The conduct of people can be disillusioning. Paul is concerned that Timothy will become disillusioned. Be negative in, negatively influenced and turn away from Paul. Just imagine how fearful Timothy would be. Man alive, if the people I'm ministering are going to turn against Paul, how can I expect them to be faithful to me? Why would I ever think that these people are going to be there for me when I need them? If they're not for Paul, where are they going to be for me? The situation is hard for us to understand. It's even more difficult to explain. We're 2,000 years removed. We are emotionally uninvolved. We don't know these people. We don't never been to that church. 
We never personally have met the Apostle Paul. We haven't met Timothy. It's easy just to say, well, you know. But think of living through it. Think of Timothy, excuse me, think of Paul in the prison cell. And no one in Asia coming to his defense. And think of Timothy ministering in Ephesus. And Paul saying, don't be ashamed of me. And don't be ashamed of the gospel. Charge these people. Do you understand why Paul is praying for Timothy's fears and concerns? Life is difficult. There are things that we go through that are hard to explain theologically. And there are even more difficult things for us to explain emotionally. Paul will help us to try to understand all of that much later. He's going to provide a theological explanation. He's going to provide some practical understanding. He's going to give us some good ways to address the problem. All that comes later in the book of 2 Timothy. Wait with, with uh, bated breath. If this strikes home to you, then you can see the value in 2 Timothy. Okay, Because he's going to say, well, how do you reconcile this? He's going to reconcile this for us. He's going to help us understand, which is extremely helpful for us to understand the church today. All that comes later. For this morning, let's just stop and look at the reality of life and how difficult it is. And I say to you, it is emotionally trying when people that we expect to support us in the faith, don't. That's hard. If our children don't, if our loved ones don't, if our church doesn't, if people aren't standing by us, it's hard. There's a temptation that goes along with that. And the temptation is to cut and run. It's just to say, who needs this? And move on. To be ashamed in the sense of withdrawing from people or the church. Let us... Understand, people who are hurting, pastors that have been ousted from their churches, good pastors. Jonathan Edwards, most of us would think, wow, Jonathan Edwards was asked to leave. The people did not appreciate Jonathan Edwards and his ministry and his teaching. There's no guarantee, no guarantee. You can be faithful, you can act the way you should, you can teach what you should, and you can strive hard to be an example. 
And still, some people will turn away. Now, hopefully not everybody, but, you know, there are people you minister to as a Sunday school teacher. There are people you pour your life into as a good neighbor. There are people that you invest and you think, if anybody's going to be my friend, if anybody's going to stick with me through thick and thin, it's going to be that person because I have just given myself to them. And when they disown you, or when they turn their back on the faith, man, is that a kick in the stomach. Understand that. And understand how people question theologically. How can this be? How can God be God? How can the gospel be true? When we see all this uproar and mess even as we sung about in our first hymn this morning. The church ripped asunder. Well, the answers come in the weeks that lie ahead. Today, I just want to prepare you emotionally. And say to yourself, say to yourself, how would I handle this? How would I handle this? This morning, we're going to sing in closing, I've decided to follow Jesus. I think it's appropriate for... Timothy is deciding to follow Jesus, and it says, though none go with me, still I will follow. Uh, Timothy is finding himself in that predicament. This morning, as we sing this, I'd just like you to think about emotionally what you're singing. And realize how difficult that is if no one goes with me. If no one supports me, if no one thanks me, if no one slaps me on the back, if nobody says, wow, you're such a great person, thank you for your sacrifice. But instead, you've invested your whole life into someone, and they turn around and want nothing to do with you. I've decided to follow Jesus. Brother Mike, if you would come and uh, lead us in our closing prayer.